0: Well, when I was uh, in seminary long ago, now circa 2004-ish, I got the itch to learn to ride a motorcycle. I I had grown up around motorcycles because my one of my brothers-in-law had. Had many over the years. Lots of sport bikes. You know what a sport bike is. It's one of the ones that you hear screaming up 526 at around 11 o'clock every night or almost every night. We live near 526. So we hear the gang of uh, sport bikes flying up the road. And my brother-in-law would take me on rides on his bikes um, and would scare the living daylights out of me. Okay? Because they're the quickest things I've ever been, ever been on. If you've ever been on a motorcycle, especially a sport bike, there is nothing that gets going that quickly. Uh, They have instantaneous acceleration. And I remember the time when I was on uh, the back of his bike and he didn't tell me that he was going to take off and he hit the acceleration, he hit the gas and I slipped off the seat and my butt is hanging over the back tire, you know? And thankfully I had a good grip on him and I was able to pull myself up and spare myself from having tire marks up my rear. Um... (laughs) It was terrifying and it was exhilarating. Completely exhilarating. So needless to say, I was hooked. I wanted one. You know, I wanted to do that to somebody else. Um, but I wanted a bike. So uh, I looked into riding classes. And this is one of the great things about our country. Okay? Right up there with uh, democracy and the Constitution is the fact that if you want to learn how to ride a motorcycle, you can learn for free anywhere in our country. This is true. The Motorcycle Safety Foundation provides classes, okay, uh, all over the country for free. They provide instructors for you, which are usually retired motorcycle cops, so they know what they're saying. Uh, They provide uh, the course and they give you a motorcycle to ride. It's amazing. All you have to bring is a helmet and you have to have your learner's permit with you. And um, I know you're all going to go sign up to ride motorcycles after this sermon. Which I think is a great idea. We should start our own Holy Cross Ion Biker Gang. Just think of the opportunities for outreach. You know, we'd go up to you know Myrtle Beach for Bike Week, <laughs> saving souls. Anyhow, when I was in this class, uh, one of the things that the retired police officers tell you is uh, that riding motorcycles is about risk assessment. Okay, that's really what they boiled it all down to. It's evaluating risk. You know, how much risk are you willing to take? Because every time you get onto a motorcycle, you are taking on risk. Uh, riding a motorcycle can be very dangerous. And that's not necessarily because you're going to want to, you know, pop a wheelie while doing 120 up 526, which is what Barnwell would do right away, I know. Um, that would obviously be you taking on a very large amount of risk if you do that. Uh but there are contributing factors that they teach you that you can control when you're riding a motorcycle. One of the biggest things you can do is wear a helmet. That actually cuts down, you know, accidents and fatality in a major way. So wear a helmet, uh but obeying the speed limit, these are all things they talk to you about re- assessing your risk. But they also teach you the statistics that are actually quite sobering. And that's that the truth uh, about most accidents involving a motorcycle and other vehicle, most of them are not the motorcycle rider's fault. The actual stat is over 80% of them are the fault of the other driver. So you learn very quickly that you are out of control of a lot of what's going on when you're riding a motorcycle. They teach you to ride. Assuming that nobody sees you, they teach you to ride. Assuming that uh, nobody's paying attention behind the wheel, everybody is texting. You know, just assume this, or everybody's dealing with a screaming baby in the back, or everybody just spilled their coffee. Whatever it is, assume that no one else out there sees you, so that you can lower your risk. So you you learn to drive more carefully and ride uh, defensively. <coughs> And I'll tell you, it's true. After learning how to ride a motorcycle, I became way more aware of what's going on on the road. You get way more defensive, and you're paying attention to what's going, what's coming, a lot more. So it's worth it for that, and it's free. So go learn how to ride a motorcycle. All right. Um, still, as we said, you have to come to grips with the fact that a lot of what uh, is going out, going on out there, is out of your control. Okay, namely, every other driver on the road. And the other thing about riding a bike is that your vulnerability is a lot higher, right? Because you aren't riding in something, you're riding on something. So you're out in the open. You're exposed out there. You feel everything. It's one of the reasons why motorcycles are so much fun, too, because you actually feel the wind and you, know, you get this sensation of, of uh, everything that's happening. But you're not in the safety of your 5,800-pound Suburban. You know, because that's what they actually weigh now. I don't know if you knew that. They're almost 6,000 pounds, okay? Um, so that's what most people are driving while they're texting and dealing with, you know, all the distractions in their car. And they're covered in airbags. They're not worried. And you sitting there on your little motorcycle, you're in trouble. So um, you're out in the open. And you're wondering, I know, at this point of most of my sermons you're wondering what is he talking about and where is he going. Uh, but I, I do have a point. I could talk about motorcycles all day, but I will <laughs> move on. The point is uh, that sharing your faith often feels the same uh, the same level of risk. It often feels like as risky as riding a motorcycle, and that's why we're calling this next series these next three weeks. We're calling it daring, and it's a series where we're going to hear about taking the risk to reach out. You know, taking the risk to have that outward perspective. Remembering that the church's main goal is actually to share the message that it's been given. To share the message of Jesus Christ with those who have not heard it yet. As we say here at Holy Cross, to make disciples of all nations. But it feels risky. The thought of going out there into a world that isn't paying attention to you. Just like you're on the highway on a motorcycle, it's not paying attention to you. Most of the time, it doesn't see you or hear you. You know, it's a world that's distracted and preoccupied with lots of other things. So to go and try to share your faith out there with this world makes you feel vulnerable, makes you feel small, makes you feel naked sometimes and exposed. A lot like riding a motorcycle amongst a bunch of semi trucks and SUVs. On the highway. You know, the the thoughts of what might happen. You might get blindsided. Somebody might, you know, snap at you. What could happen? It feels risky. So I want us to consider the next few weeks like our uh, safety riding course, okay, for outreach. We're going to learn about how to engage with this distracted world. We're going to do some risk assessment. And we're going to hear about how to minimize risk. When we go out into our neighborhoods to share our faith. And today's the foundational lesson, okay? Today is all about how you cut down risk before you even leave your house. The first thing we know we need to know is basic safety, all right? And for us, that's prayer. When we're talking about our faith and we're talking about sharing it with others, the thing that we can do before we even leave the house is pray. To actually prepare ourselves and to ask the Lord to prepare those we might encounter. Prayer is the single most important thing we can actually do when we think about sharing our faith with the world. It's like putting on your helmet and your leathers, right? You're now putting a protective layer around yourself. It's ensuring that you're properly covered. That's what prayer does. I want us to think about it for a second, okay? You guys know this by now, most of you who have been here with me, that uh, one of the things I like to emphasize in my sermons and in preaching and teaching is the sovereignty of God. And it's because I think that the Bible emphasizes that. The fact that God is actually God, which means he's in control. He is all-powerful, and he has a plan. He has a plan that he's carrying out in this world. And he's actually doing it through us. I like to emphasize that because if you forget that reality, when you think about going out into the sundry and manifold changes of this world, if you remember the prayer I pray at the end of every service, it talks about the sundry and manifold changes of the world. Because that's the world we live in. When you think about going out into that world, you most certainly will be fearful if you forget who God is. If you lose sight of him. You'll be intimidated, you'll be overwhelmed at the enormity of the task that he's given to us to go and share the good news of Jesus with others. Trying to share your faith, trying to, uh, you know, convince somebody about what you believe sounds impossible. And that's because it is if it's up to you. It actually is. The, The ability to make a positive impact in somebody's life when they've got so much other stuff going on you realize how futile that feels, often. But, uh, when we have the Lord on our side, it actually changes the scenario completely. When we remember who God is, it actually uh, covers us. Right? Without the Lord, without focusing on Him, without praying to Him and asking Him to be the one to lead, you'd be like popping wheelies and riding 130 up 526 completely naked. You know, that's what it would be like. There's guaranteed death. You're not going to get out of this alive. But when we actually have the Lord on our side, we actually are realizing that we're covered by Him completely. We're safe when we're being sent, because we're being sent by Him. That was one of the major things we heard in our last series called The Call, if you remember. I said that uh, God has chosen us. When He calls us, it means we're chosen that he's actually uh, choosing to use us to share the good news. The same God that created all of the universe, the God that created every single person in the world and knows them all intimately and knows you intimately. He is the one that's sending us. He's the one that's using us to fulfill his mission in the world. It's important to remember that it's his mission because he never fails to accomplish what he sets out to do. That's to encourage us, to literally give us courage to go. So when you remember who God is, when you're focused on the fact that he is actually sovereign, that he's the one who sends you, then you actually are able to take those first steps and to go out there. The risk already begins to go down. Prayer keeps us in that mindset. Prayer keeps us focused on him. It keeps our hearts fixed. As the prayer at the end of the service goes, our hearts are fixed on him and what he's doing, not us. Jesus speaks of the power of prayer in our New Testament gospel passage today, uh, where he first says, when Peter notices uh, the withered fig tree, Jesus says, have faith in God. It's the first thing he says. He reminds the disciples and us who we're serving. He reminds the disciples and us where the power lies. It lies in God. He's reminding us who has chosen us to be messengers for him. And he goes on to explain the power that they have in prayer. When you have faith in God, the power of prayer gives you the power to move mountains. All because of whom we are praying to, right? Right? God is the only one that can break through all those distractions that people are dealing with. You know, He's the only one that can break through that false sense of protection that we surround ourselves with. You know, the the metaphorical SUV that we're all driving around in, uh, trying to make sure that we don't get damaged or hurt or whatever. He's the one that can actually penetrate through those things. He's the only one that can penetrate the human heart and actually change it. That is the mountain, really, that Christ is talking about here, a mountain that no person can move in their own strength. We couldn't do it in our own lives. None of you changed your own hearts. You can't do it. But God most definitely can, and he has. You're proof of it because you're sitting here today. He did it in you. He used somebody else in your life that shared the good news of forgiveness in Jesus Christ with you. And so now you're sitting here. This is the God that we pray to. This is the God that we believe in. That's what Jesus is telling us when he says to believe. All of that, he's focusing all of that on God himself. He's not sitting there saying, you need to make sure that you, you know, drum it up in yourself. That you somehow are able to kind of fake it till you make it. Or that you are, you know, proving that you believe. You know, I I really believe it, Lord, you know, straining, that kind of idea. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says, have faith in God. Remember who your God is. Remember how big he is. Remember what he has done. And then your faith comes to life. And your belief comes to life. And when you pray, you're praying in light of his strength, not your own. That's what Jesus wants us to hear. And so in that context, God is calling us to take the risk which I hope you can see at this point, as we've done some of our risk assessment, it's really no risk at all to pray for the world around us, to pray for those around us, to pray that God might actually change the hearts of the people in our lives, to pray for our neighbors, pray for our families, our loved ones, those who haven't yet come to know the Lord. We pray that God, the God of salvation, would be softening their hearts to hear the good news before we ever leave our house, putting on the helmet and the leathers, right? Remember that. That God would prepare the way for us, that he would prepare the hearts of others to hear what he wants to say through us. In addition to that, we pray that he would give us the words to speak. That's one of the things that he promises to do through his Holy Spirit. He says that he will always provide the words for us to speak when we need to give an account for our faith when we need to explain our reason for hope. God promises to bring the words to us. And you can hear his call today in our Jeremiah passage. As the church in this broken and distracted world, that's us, we're very much like uh, the people of Judah who were exiled in the land of Babylon when Jeremiah wrote to them. That's what uh, the context of this passage is. He's writing to those who were taken from Judah by the Babylonians into their land. It's this idea of kind of being foreigners in a foreign land. And we who know the Lord often might, you might often feel that way. That those out you know, the people you encounter don't seem to care at all about what you're going on about or what you care about. But God tells us, he gives a charge to the exiles, and he gives a charge to us as the church. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. To multiply there, he calls us to multiply and do not decrease. He calls us to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. I want you to remember that phrase, where I have sent you. God is the one that puts us where we are. He's the one that places us in our neighborhoods, puts us in the families that we're in, puts us uh, in the jobs that we're in. He places us there because he wants to use us. He puts us there for a reason. And he says to us to pray for those that we are around, to pray pray for those places where he's put us to pray for the city that we're in, to pray to the Lord on behalf of those people. And the word that Jeremiah uses here is, pray for their welfare. Pray for their welfare. Because in it you will find your welfare. That's God's call, it's, it's, his, uh, it's his commission to us that he's sent us to the places where we live and work to be a blessing, to seek the welfare of those around us, to seek the welfare of this city, Charleston, of Mount Pleasant, of Ion, of Mathis Ferry, wherever you live, God wants us to be a blessing to those people. He wants them to be saved. His plan is for us to go. His plan is to use us. Remember what I said, when God has a plan, we can be assured that he's going to carry it through. He's the one that's going to carry you into these situations. And you already experienced this. You know, you might think of evangelism like you have to go out onto the street corner here next to the, you know, the, the bar over there and you have to start preaching hellfire and brimstone. If you do that, I'd love to, I'll be there and I'll watch. And uh, because I, I think it'll be fun to see. But um, evangelism, most often, the way that God works is through relationship. That's what we hear in Jeremiah. He's telling them to live where he's put them, even though they're in a foreign land. Live. Give your children a marriage. You marry. Have kids. Be in relationship with the world around you and share about me with those people. You know, that's what evangelism is. It's really just actually being yourself and living your faith in front of others and sharing when they, when they actually are going through situations uh, what God has done in your life. You've experienced this, I'm sure, when God has put someone in your life that is walking through something that you've just gone through, or somebody that's walking through something uh, that your family member went through 10 years ago, and you've got something to say. You know, you've got a word of encouragement. You've got a testimony of the fact that God actually brought you through, that he was faithful to you, that he didn't let you down. This is evangelism. It's not hard. It's as easy as just being yourself and trusting that God is the one that's actually going to use you wherever you are. Having that perspective, that you're not just wasting your time wherever you are, that he's actually there, that he's gone before you. And that he's the one who's actually preparing people's hearts to hear what you have to say. As Jesus says, have faith in God. Trust him to be your covering. Trust him as you dare to pray. That's what I I really encourage us all to do for the next few weeks, is to start praying for your neighborhood. Start praying for those in your family that don't know the Lord. If you haven't been already, I'm sure you have. Pray actively that God might open up opportunities for you to share or opportunities for someone else to share with them. Ask him to be the one who sends you, gives you eyes to see the world out there and gives you the words to speak when he shows you the opportunities. I promise you that God will do it. This is what Jesus tells us, that when we pray to God in faith, he will move mountains, just like he did in your life. He's changed your heart, and he's going to use you to change the hearts of others. It's a promise to us. Let's pray that he does that. Let's pray that right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are the God that changes the hearts of people. You're the God that moves mountains, that you're the God that created this whole world and everyone in it. And you've chosen us to be your messengers, Lord. I pray that you would use us. I pray that you would go before us into all the different neighborhoods that we live in, all the different workplaces where we are, Lord, the, the places where you have set us, the schools. I ask, God, that you would use us in those places. I pray that you would begin softening the hearts of those uh, that we know there. And that you might show us the opportunities. That you would start the conversations. And you would show us how we actually have something to say. That we've got words of encouragement for a distracted and hurting world. I pray, Lord, that you would keep us firmly fixed on you. And that thou would set us free, then, to point others to you.